Hi, I'm Michael White, the founder of Lean Towards Joy, the heart-centered company that helps people lean towards joy, follow their passion, and shine their light. I'm excited about this season of the podcast because I'm going to sit down with people that have done just that. And as someone who has helped many entrepreneurs follow their passion, create nonprofits and for-profits for people, um, I wanted to sit down and have conversations with people that have done just that and are making a positive difference in the world. These people had a passion. They didn't necessarily know where they were headed or how they fully create a sustainable business model, but they took action. They leaned towards their joy and wow, are they shining their light. And so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Today, I'm excited to chat with Jean Bauer, co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Farm Sanctuary, through its rescue, education, and advocacy efforts, fights the devastating effects that animal agriculture has on animals, our health, and our environment. The animal agriculture industry plays a major role in social and economical injustices that we see all around us every day. Their New York and California locations are home to nearly 700 rescued, uh, rescued friends. The destiny has been greatly changed for these sentient animals. And over the last 40 years, through education and advocacy, the dedicated staff and leadership of Farm Sanctuary, they have changed the health and well-being of countless two-legged folks like myself. I first heard about Farm Sanctuary back in 2011, when I was seeing the documentary Forks Over Knives. Gene was interviewed in the movie, and just a few months prior, my mother had died of cancer, and I was sitting there just absorbing all of this information about how a whole food, plant-based diet could prevent, and in many cases, reverse all of these major diseases that were that were really affecting families. Um, it was in that moment where my perspective shifted, and just how I viewed everything changed. Gene has written two books, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food, the Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer, and Feeling Better Every Day. Gene has been featured on every major TV network across the political spectrum. He's been a guest on Martha Stewart, The Daily Show. He was included as one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 Soul Givers. And I'm deeply honored that he has taken the time to sit down with me today for a conversation about how he turned his passion into not only a successful nonprofit, but a movement that has inspired millions. So thank you, Gene, for taking the time to sit down with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for your interest in these issues. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. Um, so we all have passions. Uh, you know, we're all passionate, passionate about something. And fortunately, many people are passionate about helping other people or animals. And so we have listeners through kind of all, all different walks of life, um, and they might be in this place where they're feeling like, okay, I have this passion. I don't exactly know what to do with it. You know, I, I, I do it on the side, but I'd really like to do it more full time, either as a part time thing or, or get out of my career completely and focus on this 100%. Um, and so I'd love to hear just a little bit, you know, about your story, you know, the early stages of your organization and what led you to start Farm Sanctuary. Yeah, well, when we started Farm Sanctuary back in 1986, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a one-year plan. We didn't have a five-year plan. Uh, we just saw that there were problems that needed attention, uh, basically. And for me, you know, like everybody around me, I grew up eating meat, uh, eat, supporting the factory farming industry without thinking about it. 
And through high school and college, I started learning more about the abuses of animal agriculture. I went vegan in 1985. Uh, but in 1986, uh, you know, still there was very little awareness about factory farming. And today there's still not enough awareness about factory farming. So in 1986, we co-founded Farm Sanctuary to document conditions. And we started investigating farms, stockyards, and slaughterhouses to show what was happening. And our sort of naive feeling was that if we show people how bad it is and how much these animals are suffering, they're going to want to immediately stop eating animals and stop supporting the industry. It's more complex than that. You know, we <laughs> might have good intentions, but yeah. uh, we also need to have infrastructure and systems underneath us to be able to make more compassionate choices. And one of the systems is belief systems, you know, not only economic systems, but belief systems are really big. Uh, but when we started Farm Sanctuary in 1986, like I mentioned, we didn't have a long-term plan. We were an all-volunteer organization. I actually had a part-time job teaching. And the way we funded Farm Sanctuary was by selling vegan hot dogs out of our Volkswagen van at Grateful Dead concerts. So that we did that for the first three years. And we sort of leaned into it. And as people heard about what we were doing, uh, thankfully, many people started supporting us. So I think that this mission, the, the, the goals that we had resonated with many people. And I also think that many people, when they did learn about factory farming, were, were upset by it and felt something had to be done. So thankfully, over the years, we've been very lucky to have so many supporters. And that's allowed us to continue doing this work. That that's wonderful. Um, you know, it's so true about like just kind of that perception shift of like you know, like you said, you grew up eating meat, and you know, and and as as did I. Um, and you know, at the same time, we go and you know visit the local farm or something like that, and, and you know, but they do a really great job of sowing this like filter, you know, and that's the only way I can kind of do, you know the words I can put to it is like this this filter of like somehow this thing, and we'll call it different things. We'll call it ham. We won't call it pig. We'll call it beef. We won't call it a cow. Like you know, we do all these things. You know, they you know the collective like so that you don't realize what you're doing. It's like yeah. you don't realize, and like you're no, you're consuming like an, an animal. Um, we're, we're eating and, corpses and don't think about yeah. it, right? And yeah. if everybody's doing it, it is normal. I mean, we are such social animals, we tend to do what those around us do, but this is where critical thinking is so important, yeah. It, well, and, and also, yeah, and I think that you know, being able to start creating you know, awareness, which you have, but you know, getting more people to start being like losing that filter of like no like you have a dog at home like would you eat your dog like I, I i was listening to a podcast earlier and i'm not gonna you know mention anything about what it was but there was someone i was like oh okay i can get behind that and i can get behind like you know cold showers or fasting like i can get around some of these like health benefits but then they said like oh but i raise you know sheep and cows and i eat them and they're delicious like oh turning that one off like how can yeah. you say like how you know um and so there really is, I think, the the more awareness that you create around, um, you know, knowing what you're having. Like, I I, I actively started um, saying, like, you know, because, again, it's it's a social thing. You go out and people are getting, you know, I go to my son's school and they have, you know, pizza and this and that. And it's like, like, I used to say, like, oh, I don't eat meat or I, I don't, you know, I don't I don't have, you know, dairy or whatever. But now I'm like, I don't eat animals. 
Like I even just that one word, stop calling it meat, call it an animal. I don't need animals, you know? Um, yeah, that but, really makes the the fact that it is a dead animal much more obvious, right? Yeah. And then it hopefully encourages people to consider the reality of what they're participating in. You know, but as you say, we have these filters and we don't look at certain things and then we start rationalizing them. You know, it's mm. been said that we're rational animals. It's, I think, more accurate to say we're rationalizing animals. And if we're doing something we don't feel good about, we come up with a lot of reasons why we have to do it. And one of the common misperceptions about meat is we need it for protein. Fact is, we do not need meat for protein. We do not need it for our nutritional well-being. So when we recognize that we don't need to do it, then it becomes actually a choice. And then when we have a choice, we are culpable for the choice. And yeah. so a lot of times I think the biggest obstacles for people is a fear of change, a fear of trying something they haven't done before, uh, a fear of being different if everybody's eating meat and they're different, um, a fear of not getting the nutrition they need because we've been bombarded with messages saying you need meat for protein or you need cow's milk for calcium. Fact is, you know, in this country, in the United States, we drink a lot of cow's milk and we get a lot of osteoporosis. So this idea that drinking cow's milk prevents osteoporosis, if you look at it empirically, doesn't really add up. So a big part of what we do at Farm Sanctuary is just encourage people to pay attention, to look at empirical reality and evidence, and then to make thoughtful choices that are ultimately aligned with our own interests. So instead of eating food that makes us sick the way we do in this country, we could actually eat food that is nourishing. We could support a food system that's not destroying the planet the way factory farming is. And we can live in a way without causing unnecessary harm to other animals. And so those are, I think, all in our interests. And they're also beneficial to our humanity and our ability to empathize with others. Because when you mistreat somebody else, uh, there is this desire to denigrate the victim of our mistreatment. And this has happened in a big way with farm animals. Um, you know, being called a pig, for example, is a way to denigrate somebody, or being called a turkey is a way to denigrate somebody. But implicit in that, we're denigrating pigs and turkeys, these individuals who are innocent victims of, a, of an abusive system. And then to validate and, and rationalize it, you know, we say, oh, they're not very smart or they don't deserve better, right? Which really undermines our empathy. And that is another thing that happens, I think, when we're, you know, engaged in this system and we don't want to look at it and we don't, and we're afraid to change. So just want to encourage people to be willing to look, to be willing to breathe, to step back and hopefully have be empowered to make changes that are aligned with our values and aligned with our interests. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I think, um, you know, you talked a lot about kind of the fear, the fear that you, you know, so many people have of, of change and, um, you know, and a lot of it is the social aspect of that, you know, well, you know, what will my friends think if I want, you know, a veggie burger instead of, you know, uh, you know, a cheese, you know, cheeseburger or whatever, you know, the, you know, this time of year that that's happening. Um, and there is a lot of social pressure around, around that. And, you know, it depends on your circle of people that you have around you too, in terms, you know, what, where their vibration is of whether they'll accept that or they won't, um, you know, but that also comes to, that comes to head like when you're actually going to start 
getting more involved in something that you're passionate about and like advocating, you know, you also, there is that pressure of the people around you. And I would imagine, you know, over in your, you know, now in your fourth decade of like, you've hit a lot of resistance, I'm sure along the way, you know, there's wonderful people out there and you found a lot of support, but like talk up a little bit about, you know, especially, you know, now you can go to the grocery store and you can buy you know, alternatives, you know, plant-based alternatives that they manufacture to taste, you know, and feel like this, you know, the same thing you're using. It, it's kind of funny to me. I've gone now, I think 12 years or so. I can't have the ones that they make taste like the way, you know, it is because I'm like, no, like, this, this, this doesn't feel right to me. Like I want it to taste more like a plant. Um, <laughs> but the guy, a guy looked at me with like, he's like, oh, we have all these wonderful. I was like, no, I don't want any of those. Give me the one over there that looks, you know, with black bean burger or something but um no we're such creatures of habit such creatures of habit you know and um most people are comfortable in a certain way of being without sort of critically analyzing or assessing it and you know we grow up eating meat we assume we need to eat meat there are very strong economic forces at play that encourage us to eat meat including government programs that promote cow's milk in the school lunch program, for instance. Um, And so we are bombarded with narratives about how this is how we've always done it. This is the best way to nourish ourselves. Meat gives us strength when in fact we can live very well without it. And so changing is difficult. And I think one of the main ways that we can inspire change is by being positive examples and showing that it is possible because as human beings we learn from those around us we rub off on those around us and that's why growing up most of us grew up eating meat because everybody around us was doing it but if there are some vegans and if those vegans are helpful supportive compassionate accepting uh inclusive that makes it easier for people to make some changes. And usually change happens incrementally where somebody gives up, you know, eating cows, for example, or gives up eating pigs or gives up drinking cow's milk. You know, each of these little incremental steps often leads to another step. And so I think that it's important to nurture those small steps. Um, You know, it's not an all or nothing situation. And, And life is all or nothing. I mean, we do the best we can each day. And none of us, not even the most vegan vegan is perfect. Just living on this planet, we're going to, you know, inadvertently cause harm to others. Uh, but just accepting the reality that, you know, we're on this planet with many other creatures um, and we can make choices every day that have profound impacts, not only on our own lives, but on the lives of others. And, and, and to me, that's part of empathy, you know, which means yeah. being able to recognize the pain or feelings or suffering or experience of someone else. And many of us have cats or dogs and we see their expressions. We know when they're happy and excited. We know when they're sad. Uh, That's empathy. And cows and pigs and sheep and chickens and turkeys have emotions as well. They have relationships. They have memories. Um, And empathizing with that, I think, brings out the better part of our humanity. Whereas, you know, going to a factory farm and a slaughterhouse, you know, people who work in those places, you know, really don't want to and can't empathize because if they do, what they're doing is just such a a, yeah. a sort of an affront to their humanity. 
and so, you know, I feel for those people because in many cases they feel that this is their only opportunity, their only job, and they're stuck in the system. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I often ask people to consider what it would be like to work in a slaughterhouse, you know, where for eight hours a day, you're cutting the throats of animals. And when somebody's engaged in that kind of a practice, there's a very strong incentive not to see those as living, feeling, emotional beings. Yeah, you have to you know? compartmentalize that because otherwise you can't, you wouldn't be able to function. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And compartmentalizing, I think, undermines our humanity, right? Yeah. Undermines yeah. our potential for kindness. And humans have done this with other other humans also for his forever, yeah. for thousands yeah. of years, right? Yeah. And it's the same sort of process of saying some folks don't really deserve consideration. And, yeah. you know, at Farm Sanctuary and in the animal rights movement, we're basically encouraging people to think about non-human animals and about their lived experiences and our impacts uh, on them. Yeah. And I, and I think you're, you know, when you, when you mentioned about like those incremental steps, um, you know, it's like we have a tendency now and it's, it's, it could be swinging the other way, but there's more of like, well, if you're not a hundred percent for, then you must be against. And so therefore like we're, we're hitting up against a wall here and, you know, we see it in many different things. This is one of them, um, you know, but to, to applaud those incremental steps, you know, like, you know, for me, it wasn't, you know, I, for six weeks after I watched that movie and I did this thing and I was like, I put my popcorn down. I was like, I can't, you know, I'm a hundred percent vegan. And then like six weeks went by and I'm like, wow, this is incredibly hard to go for a hundred percent from nothing. And so it, for me, it changed. Like I was like, okay, you know, and you start to rationalize and justify. And it's like, okay, well I'll do this, not this. So, you know, from that moment forward, I never ate another animal, but I was still having consuming dairy products. And then time went by and I was like, it didn't feel authentic. Cause I'm like, you know, it's like, I'm rationalizing and making an excuse as to why I'm going to go get that ice cream rather than like, I wasn't drinking cow, you know, but I'm still consuming cheese. I'm still had, I was like, this doesn't feel authentic to me. And so, like you said, it's like those, those incremental, like, Oh, and then you become more aware of this. And then you start to, you know, shift that behavior and that, you know, um, part of you. And I think the same is true of like, if you are, you know, if you are vegan or if you're vegetarian or you're, you know, whatever, and someone's like, oh, well, we tried like we're trying meatless Tuesdays or something. And it's like, don't be like, that's not enough. Be like, that's awesome. You should do that and like help them along with that, you know, because it is going to be, you know, through that incremental process that I think you're going to, you know, change more minds. I think that's very true. And, you know, again, we are creatures of habit, right? So if we have a certain habit, changing that takes energy. Yeah. Holding on to the status quo is kind of easy to do. So this is where like the meatless Mondays or or one day a week going vegan um, is, I think, very positive because it allows people to start learning new ways to eat, learning new ways, no, new foods that are available that they haven't even thought about. And recognizing that in some cases it's really easy. You know, yeah. you could have yeah. and you feel better and marinara sauce, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, You know, so a lot of the things that we're already eating are are vegan or could be made vegan very easily. And mm -hmm. today you can even get vegan meatballs. So you can have spaghetti and meatballs all vegan. Yeah. Um, so it's easier than ever. But I think that, again, we are creatures of habit and incremental steps help us to start developing new, healthier habits. And then that also starts then to build kind of muscle memory 
mm-hmm. and and pathways of thinking and being in our brains. You know, there's a a brain expert on I think Stephen Colbert many years ago, and he was asked uh, to describe brain function in five words. And he said, "Nerve cells fire in patterns," and so we have these yeah. patterns. And so shifting from the standard American diet, the sad diet with, you know, highly processed foods, too many animal products to a healthier diet requires we create new patterns of how we look at our food and and where we go and buy it and what we eat. But it's getting easier and it's it's really not that difficult, Uh, you know. And it also can be very affordable. This is the other thing is because of our subsidy system, hamburgers are way cheaper than they should be. There's enormous costs associated with raising animals for food, but our government spends literally billions of dollars every year to bolster this industry. There was a study a few years ago that looked at dairy industry income, and they found that 73% of dairy industry income came from government programs. So this is a system that is supported by tax dollars, despite the fact that this food is making us sick. And... um, but it's cheap and it's accessible, it's everywhere. And, and so that's part of the problem we're up against, the systemic uh, you know, preference towards unhealthy foods. And so we need to make it easier to eat healthier food. So that's part of the systemic work we're doing. Uh, and it makes it harder for individuals just because unhealthy food is so accessible. But vegan food inherently is cheaper. We can feed more people with less land and fewer resources by raising, by eating plants instead of animals. You know, in the US, 10 times more land goes to animal agriculture versus plant-based agriculture. Recently, there were those Western states vying for Colorado River water. You know, the Colorado River doesn't even reach the ocean, hasn't for years, Uh, but the water supply is dwindling. Uh, What wasn't in the news enough was the fact that most of that Colorado River water that's being taken by those Western states goes to irrigate crops to feed farm animals. You know, so could you imagine if we just yeah. stop taking water and other resources and using that to raise animals for food? We'd have so much more uh, that could be used in much wiser ways. Uh, we'd have more wildlife space. So this is an, you know, the, rain, the reason the rainforests are being cut down is to raise animals, you know, yeah. to graze them or to grow crops to feed them. So this is a system that's inherently inefficient. And um, so we need to keep working on reforms to government programs to stop incentivizing this factory farming system. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, the, the fear of change and the fear, you know, the fear of that kind of looking different amongst your peers and things like that. Um, it, it reminds me a lot about like the, just, the, just inherent fears that we have. And, you know, and so a lot of what I work with, with people is getting around those like hurdles, you know, it's like, you have this fear of, well, if I put this thing out there and, you know, what will people think of me? And, you know, what if it doesn't work? And, you know, all kind of those fears that are associated with starting anything new. Um, and so I'm trying to, I wonder if you can, you know, kind of remember back to those days of, you know, um, of, selling the vegan, you know, hot dogs through, through the van. And, um, you know, what, what kind of kept you going through some, you know, I can't imagine everything was open arms for you. You know, you, you, you would definitely, if you were to start that venture now, you'd have a more understanding because you built that 
advocate, you know, you've built that education for, you know, for millions of people, but not a lot of that was there when you, when you started this, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, when we started back in 1986, we were fortunate that a fellow activist had a house that it was, the house was in rough shape, but mm-hmm. he needed somebody to live in it. So we lived in this house. So it was like free rent, which really okay. helped. Yeah. Um, and we started small, we started slowly and, or I shouldn't say slowly because things grew pretty quickly, but we didn't get out ahead of ourselves. You know, we didn't rescue too many animals because mm-hmm. actually we're living in a little row house in Wilmington, Delaware. And then a tofu farmer let us use a couple of acres on his farm in, in Pennsylvania. And then we got the farm in upstate New York a couple of years later. So we we didn't get be didn't go too fast where we couldn't manage what we had. That was important. Yeah. But what kept us motivated was just how abuse of the system was, you know, each time we were doing investigation, we would see horrible conditions and we were just driven to do something about it. So we would find animals literally in trash cans who had been discarded or living animals thrown on piles of dead animals. And we then started rescuing them. So our rescues actually grew out of our investigations. And when these animals were rescued, and as we watched them heal, uh, in a sense, it also helped to heal us. And so we recognized that we were documenting a problem. We were creating an immediate solution for certain individuals. But we also recognized that it was impossible to rescue billions of animals every year. And that we had to work on educating people and advocating for reforms. But, you know, we just have from the beginning been driven by a desire to end needless suffering and to create a world where kindness is more prevalent, you know, and the sanctuaries really embody that. And um, there was, you know, there were certainly tough days. Uh, There are still tough days, but when you keep the goal in mind, you keep sort of the dream alive, uh, you can keep going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's great advice, you know, especially around not trying to to save the world all at once. Um, it's impossible you know, because yeah, it is. It's impossible, um, and it and it, it, you know, I think all of these passions start with a spark, and so you know, you have the spark within you, and then it, you know, you it gets fueled by whatever you know you're surrounding yourself with, whether it's, um you know, doing the investigations and then finding the animals and, you know, building upon that compassion and, and, um, you know, for that particular passion. But I think a lot of people kind of, they have the spark, it gets fueled throughout X period of time. And then they show up and they're, you know, a raging fire of like passion. And they're like, but why isn't everyone else here? And it's like, well, because they didn't get the spark yet. You know, sometimes you have to be that spark for somebody else. Um, You know, and I, and I think that, to recognize that to go from from here to there is not always going to be easy um you know and, and sometimes the spark can't start as a raging fire right sometimes the yeah. spark has to be a a little warm flame to to attract right yeah so, you don't want to run away from the fire <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. so you don't want to come in too hot right otherwise yeah. don't tell me i don't want to know right yeah and, and so yeah. 
And this is also, I think, part of one of Farm Sanctuary's most important values, which is to speak to people where they are on their own journeys, which requires empathy, which requires us to recognize that for some people, they may be afraid, uh, they may not be able to make certain choices, but to empower and support choices that are feasible uh, for different individuals and um, and then build from there. But you know, sometimes for vegans, it is tough just because, you know, we see just how atrocious these animals are being abused and um, just how harmful this whole system is. And, you know, you kind of want to scream and say, it's got to stop yesterday. But the fact is, doing that type of screaming is probably going to further entrench it, you know, as yeah. opposed to creating change. So, I think it's very pragmatic to take incremental steps and to celebrate them while continuously keeping our eye on what we ultimately hope to achieve. You know, I think there can also sometimes be um, a danger in accepting small changes in thinking we just saved the world. So when it comes to ending some of the worst cruelties of factory farming, you know, we say that less bad is better than more bad. You know, when you give animals a little bit more space, for instance, mm-hmm. but it's still not good. Yeah. And one of our big efforts right now at Farm Sanctuary is to figure out ways to build the good, to create a food system that works for people, for the planet, for other animals. Uh, and we believe that that is a plant-based food system. It's a more diversified, more democratized food system, because in agriculture now, we've had a lot of consolidation where small farms have been taken over by big farms and where consumers have been further removed and disconnected from the source of their food. And when there's that disconnection between consumers and the food production process, uh, agribusiness is in a much easier position to mislead consumers and to say things, oh, it's carbon-friendly agriculture or it's free-range animal products. Those labels usually sound a lot better than they are. So that's another reason why having a more diversified, localized, small food structure or a a small farmer structure will allow consumers to be closer to the source of their food. So there's more accountability and more transparency because right now we don't have enough of that. And that's one of the big problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, I, I, I think that's great. I think that, um, there's a, there's a lot of value in, kind of understanding the whole picture of of um you know what you're putting in your body you know and and like kind of what's behind it and it it is you know back to you mentioning about you know work in a slaughterhouse of like that compartmentalization it's like you to get out of bed everybody has to do it in some variety you know because if you woke up and just read through the news you're going to be like nope getting back into bed (laughs) <laughs> you know right, uh, right and so like there needs to be you know there needs to be some of that but you're right i think uh, the more you know you kind of do see what's going you know and and what's behind you know some of these you know both meat products dairy products but even some of the you know the other products that you buy in, at the grocery store and it's like you know a, a marketing label is just one thing like my wife and i were just chatting about a particular brand and we're like oh yeah it's this brand we use this for our kids and i'm like I think they were just bought out by like some giant chemical company. It's like, are we sure we're still getting what we think we're getting? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Brands. And that has happened, you know, where a lot of 
you know, big corporations have, you know, subsumed and taken up friendly yeah. brands, right? Which then they continue to sell and might start cutting corners uh, yeah. with products. So, and 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 I don't mean to be overly pessimistic, you know, because, you know, incremental steps and even buying products that are imperfect is better than buying worse products. Yeah. Uh, but to the extent we can go to local farmers markets or even get to know local farmers or even potentially having a garden in our backyard, uh, these are ways where we know where the food comes from, where we can feel really good about eating it. And there's actually a pretty cool food not lawns movement that's, you know, it's small, but mm. in this country, we have something like 30 million acres of lawns that's more land than we use to grow fruits and vegetables in this country. Now, can you imagine if each of those lawns was, and the gardeners, in many cases, you, people are hiring gardeners basically to mow the lawn and put down fertilizer. Yeah. What if those gardeners were actually gardeners? And, and then there's job opportunities, you know, mm -hmm. and, and farming is a skilled job. And so now you get, you know, better income for the workers. You're producing something more valuable than grass clippings. You then potentially have a neighborhood with a bunch of little farms, and then you have yeah. all kinds of different produce. Then you have surplus, start a farmer's market, you know, support folks in the area that need food. So these are the kinds of potential solutions around us. And there's little bits and pieces moving in this direction. But then you also then have obstacles, right? Like uh, homeowners associations saying, no, we need to have a manicured grass lawn, which is, again, a belief that is, I think, worth challenging and questioning. Um, yeah. And and so, and then another thing that's problematic is that industrial agriculture has prefer preferential access to water and other resources. So, you know, to have a food, not lawns movement, there needs to be infrastructure and, you know, irrigation in some cases, and then, uh, you know, other supports. But right now we're, we're built, the, the system is built for industrial agriculture and it's incentivized, which is problematic. So we need to work on systems and structural changes to incentivize a healthier food system. Yeah. And, you know, and that's obviously done by the education that you're, you know, that you're doing and, and, and promoting is, you know, around those changes won't have, you know, it's gotten so far to to a point now, like those changes aren't going to happen unless people, you know, get out and vote and call, you know, their representative and things like that. Because if it's coming from the government down, you know, in terms of a lot of these subsidies, then, you know, there is that's absolutely needs to happen yeah you know, we're, we're theoretically in a democracy and a democracy yeah. is a participatory sport yep. we have to show up and i think that changing federal laws is important changing state laws is important but sometimes the laws that are easiest for us to change our local laws and community you know municipal laws or zoning regulations and that's where you know significant positive progress can happen and in some cases it might be individuals who do something that's theoretically illegal and stand up for it. There's a, a farmer in Los Angeles named Ron Finley, and he was growing food in urban areas. And the city said, you can't grow food there. And he said, I'm going to grow food here. And he challenged and he won. And one of his quotes, which I really love is growing your own food is like printing your own money. So it's a way to become empowered in a sense, right? So yeah. challenging certain structures in some instances makes a lot of sense. And when you have individuals that are willing to stand up, 
they can start making a big difference and then become models for others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you have shown, you know, whether it's, whether it's this or, you know, something else that you're advocating for is like, this is something that you can do full time. This is something that like, you know, it didn't start off as a full time, as you mentioned, you did like some part time teaching on the side. And, um, you know, but I think the more you lean into that, you know, the more you're going to find different creative solutions, you know, selling veggie dogs out of a van and Grateful Dead concert, you know, it's like, yes, you yes. find these ways of like, okay, well, you know, but it creates it, it shifts a different way of thinking, you know, when it's not like, well, if I, if I leave this job, then I'm without a paycheck. And and for some people, that's, that's a very hard reality. You know, I have three kids, like I, there is a very, you know, real responsibility that you have of like, you need to make money to pay rent or your mortgage or, you know, whatever it is. And so it's like, how can you start getting involved in this passion, either you like your job, and you just want to get involved in, you know, um, in whatever you're passionate about, um, and continue working, or you want to make a shift and and start slowly starting to like, you know, change your world, because it, it really does. Um, how? How can people best support Farm Sanctuary? Well, we have our website, farmsanctuary.org. We also have our social media accounts. So I encourage people to check out the website, follow us on social media. Um, we also do a newsletter where we let folks know if there's legislation in their area or federally that they can get involved in supporting. Um, and I think just learning about the issues and making choices every day that we feel good about. You know, if we can live well without causing unnecessary harm, why wouldn't we? You know, mm. so Farm Sanctuary is here to model a different kind of way of living with farm animals, where they're our friends, not our food. Our sanctuaries are places where vegan is normal. We also encourage people to come visit the sanctuaries, which is very different than what happens in factory farms, where they're actually trying to pass laws to keep people away and to prevent us from even talking about factory farming. They're called ag-gag laws. They've been introduced in a number of states. Uh, we've had to go to court to try to fight these. And thankfully, we've had some success uh, having these laws declared unconstitutional as violations of our right to free speech. Uh, but Farm Sanctuary is open to the public. We encourage people to visit at our farm in Watkins Glen, New York. We do regular tours. We also have overnight accommodations. Uh, we're in the process right now of building a cafe. So we'll also have great vegan food at the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And at our farm in Acton, California, just outside of Los Angeles, we don't currently have overnight accommodations, but we do regular tours and events. So both of these sanctuaries are open to the public, and we encourage people to check it out at farmsanctuary.org. That's great. Um, have you, yeah, I know your your last book um, that you written, The Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer and Feeling Better Every Day. Um, do you have... Anything else in the work that you're looking to 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 mention here, or is everything still kind of things are you know <laughs> things are constantly evolving. Uh, yeah. There's a good chance that at some point I might do a third book. Uh, yeah. There's nothing concrete currently underway, uh, but you know we're really digging deeply into federal policy right now. Um, we're also looking at our properties uh, in Watkins Glen and also in California. And, and and figuring out ways to utilize those more effectively. Uh, in addition to being animal sanctuaries, 
think there's a lot of opportunity to do more in the hospitality space, which is why we're doing a cafe, for instance, in, in Watkins Glen, New York. Um, and we're going through a process right now to really identify the opportunities. And there are many at both of these sanctuaries. So rescuing animals is part of it, but then modeling vegan living is another part of it. Potentially growing food, maybe doing farm to table is another part of it. Uh, retreats for people to come out, spend time at the sanctuary, to start learning about eating plants instead of animals, maybe start developing skills, you know, cooking skills, maybe even farmer uh, training programs. So what we ultimately want to do is to empower people to live compassionately uh, by eating plants instead of animals and staying away from supporting this horrendous factory farming system. Awesome. Well, if the past is any indication, I, I think everything you just mentioned is going to, you know, come come to light for you. So, um, so thank you very much. I want to truly thank you for taking the time this morning. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I I never knew twelve years ago that I'd be having a conversation with the person I'm watching on the screen. So, so well, I want to thank you very speak. much. No, wonderful, wonderful speaking with you, and I'm grateful for all you're doing. The optimism you put out there, the sort of inspiration and the encouragement, you know, because I think a lot of us need those things to continue going and to to do as well as we can. So thank you for doing that. All right. Thanks, Gene. All right. Be well. Yes, you too. That wraps up this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will continue our conversation with people that have followed their passion and are now making a tremendous difference in the world. If you'd like to learn more about Farm Sanctuary, visit them online at farmsanctuary.org. And I'm excited to say that Farm Sanctuary is one of the organizations that our online store supports. So visit shopjoy.org to learn more about the brand that was built for advocacy. If you'd like to bring more joy into your life and connect with Lean Towards Joy, you can subscribe here or find us on social at Lean Towards Joy. You can also visit our website at leantowardsjoy.com. Thanks for listening.